Hi, and welcome to the Next Age Radicals podcast, where each month the guest from our previous episode becomes the host for our next one. All are Next Age Radicals, people who are hands-on in the work of discovering new and better ways of working, challenging the conventions of Management 1.0 in order to move the world of work to the next stage. Our episodes are whatever our guests make of them, an opportunity to get creative, to explore deeply, to have a rant, or to pause and reflect as they each explore what it takes to make work, work better. Hello and welcome to the Next Stage Radicals podcast. And yes, we are changing format. I am not Andy Brogan, your regular host and also the soul of Next Stage Radicals. I am your host only for this episode because we are becoming a multi-host podcast. We are going to be drawing from the wide pool of Next Stage Radicals and every episode will be hosted by one Next Stage Radical interviewing another Next Stage Radical. And at the heart of most of the discussions in our community is a belief in the power of groups, self-organization, even self-management. So while Andy is going to continue to hold the space for us and look after the production of the show, well, he suggested we experiment with a chain reaction, passing the baton from person to person. So here we are. And the aim of this show continues to be building our community of practice, the Next Stage Radicals, sharing what individual members are doing and sharing what we are learning with you our fellow radicals. And when I say we, well, for this episode, my name is Pilar Orti, and this month's guest is Anna Whitehead, who is developing a portfolio career. Uh, As a qualified uh, coach, (laughs) even as a qualified coach, she coaches individuals on work-related topics, but keeping a focus on the whole person. She works as an associate coach for Genius Within, coaching neurodiverse adults to be the best they can be at work. And also she's motivated to collaborate with others to improve things. And she also provides service improvement and change management consultancy grounded in systems thinking principles. So all of that, listeners, you've got to look forward to. Welcome, Anna. Thank you, Pilar. Hello. (laughs) Good. So with all of this, (laughs) and we'll be touching on what drives you to be uh, pursuing all of this, what would you say is your radical idea or vision, Anna? Um, so I was going to say that I don't really have one, but I guess my radical idea is not to have one radical idea. <laughs> um, so there are kind of four things that I'm interested in at the moment and that I've been pursuing. Um, so the first one is kindness. Um, the second one is mental well-being at work. The third one is helping make a more inclusive society for people with autism. Um, and then that's kind of expanding into other neurodiverse conditions as well. Um, and then the fourth one, I suppose, summarises or is kind of the common thread through everything, which is around following my curiosity and making connections. Excellent. So I think then let's uh, let's explore all those four, what, <laughs> what they mean for you. Uh, and also maybe it's also interesting to see where some of that comes from. So, um, I mean, do you want to start? with uh, your story of how you've arrived at those four things or do you want to start with okay let's look at this um this kindness through coaching what is that about which one do you want to start with um so yeah we can start with the kindness through coaching 
Um, so last year I ran a workshop at the, as part of the Kinder Leeds Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it was a festival about kindness, it kind of got me thinking around kindness and coaching. Um, and I'd noticed when I've been coached that coaching has helped me be kinder to myself. And I've also noticed that when I'm coaching other people, coaching has helped them become kinder to themselves. And that got me really curious. Yes, I'm going to stop you there because <laughs> I want to know, and I'm sure some of, of our listeners um, would like to know also. Uh, well, one, one very practical one, this uh, festival of kindness, what kind of things happened there? Just very briefly. Um, so I th- it might have been the second or even third year that the festival had run. Um, so there were lots of different events going on. Some of them were face-to-face this year or last year. Some of them were online. Um, so I did a kind of online workshop. But there was a, a kind of Kindex event, a bit like TEDx, but focusing on <sighs> kindness, okay. where they had different speakers doing um, different topics. That was all on one day of the festival. So the festival was a week long. Um, and then they had another event. So they had people talking about kind of bereavement and grief. Um, they had people doing listening circles. So a very a mixture of more interactive sessions or more speaker based sessions um, and people doing mindfulness and, and all kinds of things, really. Excellent, excellent. I just needed to to ask because I haven't heard about that. And then going back to more um, about how you started to think about kindness uh, um, in coaching. Uh, when you said that it being coached helped you to be kinder to yourself, what do you mean by that? So I think the times when I've been coached myself have always been times when I've been quite stressed. Um, and I've noticed that the, the coaching has really helped me take the pressure off myself. Um, and maybe, so I know there, there was one time where I was thinking I wanted to change career but I didn't really know how or what to do. But I was putting a lot of pressure on myself in terms of I should have left my job by now. I should be knowing where I'm going and getting on with it. And it was the coaching that kind of helped me take a step back and think about what my options were, think about what was really important to me, and then start making small steps, which then made me a lot happier in my current day job because I didn't have that pressure of, you know, I need to be doing something else here and yet I'm still here. What's that about? Yeah, yeah, great. So that was you as a coachee. And then uh, how did you start to discover what it meant for you in coaching? Um, So I suppose, again, just seeing how the people that I was coaching could help reframe the way they were talking to themselves or their own kind of assumptions. Um, So either believing that they're not good enough or um, just feeling a lack of confidence um, in kind of the yeah, the work context that they found themselves in at the time. And I suppose just deepening, helping them deepen their awareness of what was going on for them, then just helps them kind of, I suppose, take a step back and look at that more objectively and and with a kinder attitude, um, rather than again, kind of always pushing themselves to maybe be something that they're that they feel they should be, but they feel that they're not there yet, but actually kind of go, well, I'm on a journey and I'm learning and this is okay. And oh, yeah, I haven't looked at that this way. And if I look at it this way, then I can kind of take the pressure off myself a bit. <laughs> and is this something that you make explicit when you're working with people or how or, or how, how does it how does it support or how did it change how you were currently uh, practicing coaching? Um, so I don't think I make it kind of explicit when I'm working with people. 
Um, I think when I was preparing for the event that I did in Leeds, or well, remotely in Leeds, um, then I kind of I was sitting down and thinking, what are the coaching principles then that I feel have helped foster kindness for myself and for other people? And then I kind of shared those with the other people at the workshop and then split us into breakout groups where people could pick one of the principles and kind of practice having a conversation with another person and just see what that felt like. Mm-hmm. So there kind of three, there were three main principles that I kind of talked about. Um, one was kind of a fundamental belief that everyone is creative, resourceful and whole. So other people don't need to jump in and fix your problems or kind of jump to advice. And I know quite often when we give advice to people, it's because we want to help. So it comes from a positive intent. But actually, a lot of the time, kind of supporting the person to come up with their own solutions is a lot more powerful and more sustainable for them. Um, And then kind of presence, not perfection, is a key principle, um, which I've kind of borrowed, been inspired by Marsha Reynolds, who's an executive coach um, in America, and she talks about this a lot. And again, I think even in everyday conversations, people sometimes shy away from more difficult conversations because they feel like they don't know what to say or they might say the wrong thing. And actually she talks about, you know, even in coaching as a coach, don't worry about asking the right question or the best question, but just kind of be there with the person and be there in presence and, and help hold that safe space for somebody and bring non-judgmental listening. Um, and that itself is just very powerful. Um, and people feel like, you, yeah, that you kind of alongside them. They feel like they've been heard. They feel like they can be open and honest if you've created that safe space, which can be, again, really powerful. Um, and then the third one is being client led. Um, so very much the client is in charge of what we talk about and how we talk about it. So I do when I contract at the beginning of my sessions, I will say, you know, I might suggest an exercise that we can try. But if you don't think it will work, then tell me. Or if you've got an exercise that you think might help, then feel free to suggest it. And equally, if I ask you a question and you don't want to go there, you don't want to answer it, then that's fine. You don't have to. You know, you can either just ignore it and move on or tell me that you don't want to go there. Um, yeah. Wow. There's a lot. There's a lot in there. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to see about uh, say about cultivating those principles through coaching? So I suppose, I suppose the thing that kind of, hit me as well and I suppose this is going on to the mental well-being at work Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but I think I haven't really thought about this explicitly before I was preparing for the festival and I think a key so a key motivation for why I want to coach people is to help improve their mental well-being at work Um, so obviously if you you know coaching can help people perform better in their jobs as well but I guess I get my buzz from seeing people become happier rather than, and yes, they might improve their performance and that's good as well. I'm not saying it's not, um, but it's kind of, yeah, it's the the kind of mental well-being improvement that, that really motivates me. And I think a key part of why coaching can help improve that mental well-being at work is because it can help people be kinder to themselves and kind of take that pressure off themselves. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a really, really nice link. <laughs> and, 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 you know, you could have the, uh, the, the more, um, the more hardcore, uh, 
argument that actually someone with who is whole and and whose well being is good is actually probably going to perform better as well. So everything is yeah. If you need to if you need to in a way sell it that way. That's that's a core of it. But what you're doing then by I suppose by focusing on the well being is you're making sure it's sustainable and that this is not something that is just good for now and you're coaching them for now that actually you're really building the foundations for someone to be able to really perform. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and I think that's really important for me as well because I kind of, again, another thing that Marcia Reynolds talks about is coach the person, not the problem. So actually mm. if you coach the problem, then if they get a, a future problem, then they won't necessarily have built the resources or the kind of, different thinking or the different perspectives to help work through that whereas if you coach the person then like you say yeah it's more sustainable for the future um no matter what kind of future situations they find themselves in and do you think organizations are embracing that concept that actually coaching which sometimes has been seen only something that executive uh, leaders need uh, do you think that the the this whole person thing this uh, focus on well-being do you think it's being embraced where are we with organizations what are you seeing um so i'd say in general there's probably a way to go so I, I suppose I'm quite keen that coaching is seen as a well-being intervention, whereas I think a lot of organisations, when they think of well-being, think of, you know, I don't know, restrooms that staff can go to or yes. bean bags or, mm. you know, Nordic walking for over lunch and things like that, which uh, I'm not saying that those things aren't helpful because I think they can be. But actually, if you're being stressed at work because of the way your job is or the way your relationships are with colleagues, those things aren't tackling those things at all. Whereas if you can kind of coach to help people think through how they kind of work better and and manage their work context better, um, then that can have a real impact. So I would definitely advocate coaching as a well-being initiative more than it is. Mm -hmm. Um, I think leading on to the kind of work that I'm doing with Genius Within, I think a lot of the people I coach through that aren't executives. So there are more and more organisations becoming more aware of the need to support neurodiverse employees um, and that they see that coaching is a way to do that and to kind of, and that is, it is more focused on trying to help them improve their performance in areas that they struggle with. Um, But actually, again, a key theme that's kind of coming out for me with the people I'm coaching through that associate work is just how how kind of the fact that they've struggled so long and maybe their condition hasn't been diagnosed for a long time um, or people haven't really understood it or they haven't really understood it themselves. They do beat themselves up a lot and kind of think they're useless and a bit rubbish. Mm. Um, so again, that kind of, again, the thing that I suppose I really enjoy about coaching these people is seeing their confidence grow um, and their, yeah, and, and just them being, happier in themselves as a result of yes working on the things that they find hard um but it's kind of the impact that it has for them on a person personal level that's yeah really good to see so I suppose the fact that there are those companies that are referring people to Genius Within through that there is a a growing recognition I think that coaching can can help yeah, and it goes back as well. I'm hearing the theme of kindness, of course, coming, coming yeah. back, coming yeah. back in there. Um, and so, tell us a little bit more about the work. I mean, you referred specifically to adults with autism, but now that's branching out to a wider neurodiversity. Um, 
how is it different or how is it similar uh, to to coaching uh, someone else? So I th- I think it's very similar um, in that I use the kind of coaching principles that I use with other clients, with my genius within clients, um, and kind of focusing very much on, you know, not teaching them um, things, but helping them come up with strategies in the workplace that they can look at how they adapt them themselves and what will work for them. Um, so again, you know, I've, I've have had coaching sessions where I've kind of asked questions and maybe put some prompts in um, around, you know, you might be struggling with um, time management, for example. Um, so there are different techniques that people can use to help improve time management. But actually, I still have my fundamental belief that everybody that I'm coaching is creative, resourceful and whole. So they don't need me as a coach to kind of fix them and come up with a solution. But there'll, there'll be stuff that they'll have tried in the past that mm-hmm. may or may not have worked, but they can kind of build on. Um, and then it's helping ask other questions, I suppose, to help them look at, again, different perspectives of looking at things which again is similar to how I'm coaching when I'm coaching other people that just helps them kind of work through what will work for them. And I suppose that there's a there's a wider drive as well in in working with these individuals is what is the wider drive then into how this can impact society? Uh, is it about how these people um integrate into society, how they feel? Is it about more awareness of of the diversity? So I think there are two things. And I think so the how they feel, I suppose, again, when I started doing this work, that wasn't my kind of main motivation for doing it. But like you said, I think because I've noticed the kindness to themselves and the mental well-being aspect improving. So that is really important. And obviously, if they're happier in, in their jobs, then that's fabulous. That's what I want. Um, but I suppose my main motivation for kind of starting the work in the first place, um, I've got a family member um, who's got a diagnosis of Asperger's syndrome. So he's on the autistic spectrum. Um, and his experiences kind of out in, in society in general have been that there have been several occasions where he's had verbal abuse from people in the street because he doesn't or, or in shops um, because he doesn't behave in a way that people expect him to behave. Um, and I just think that a way to make society more inclusive is to make workplaces more inclusive. So if people work with people with autism, then they're more likely, I think, when they're out and about in the street to say, well, that person might be acting a bit odd, but maybe it's because they've got autism or maybe something else is going on and maybe, you know, I don't need to be aggressive and shout at them because they're not moving forward in a queue. You know, there might be a reason for it. So just help people become more understanding, I think, um, and more accepting of of people with difference, um, both in the workplace and out in wider society. I think there's a really important message, the fact that workplaces are many societies <laughs> of themselves and to help that a uh, small ecosystem really thrive and really help everyone understand difference and deal with difference and not be afraid of difference is a really good first step to then moving that behavior further out. So I hadn't hadn't really thought of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. And um, 
So do you think there is an awareness of, because we, we know there's awareness of definitely surface uh, level diversity. There's also some awareness that we also have some uh, deeper diversity. Do you think that neurodiversity is, uh, is understood in organizations? Is there an awareness in general of it? Um, so I think it's growing and I think there are some organisations where there's a greater awareness than others. So I think, yeah, it's probably a mixed picture. Um, but I know Genius Within are very keen. And, and this was one of the things, that, again, that attracted me to them as an organisation. They're very keen to develop systemic inclusion. So not to have kind of specific autism recruitment strategies where you specifically want to recruit autistic people to specific jobs. Um, because again, there's a lot of stereotypes that autistic mm. people must work with computers, mustn't they? Because that's what they <laughs> enjoy doing. But actually, there's a wide variety of jobs. Um, so there's a wide variety of jobs that, that they would want to do. And also the kind of confidentiality issue is something that they, they're doing research on is if you bring somebody into an organization on an autism program, for example, does that mean they're less likely to get promoted later on because everybody in that company potentially would know that they've got autism? So I suppose there's a confidentiality issue for them on an individual level in terms of, you know, disclosing a diagnosis. And then does that actually hinder them in their in their job progression? Um, I would say from the kind of people that I've coached and the organisation, so I tend to try and um, encourage the manager to come into the first coaching session that we have and the mm -hmm. last coaching session that we have to kind of understand their perspective of, of what they want their employee to get out of the coaching, but also what they see their employee's strengths as being. And then at the end, um, when the employees kind of got strategies that they're, they're putting in place that have helped them, they can have that conversation with the manager to see if there's anything the manager can be doing to support them in putting those strategies in place. And again, that's an ongoing kind of conversation that they can have together during the coaching, um, but it can be useful to have the manager come in at the end as well. Yeah, especially as if you're saying there might be some conscious or unconscious bias in the way that uh, we are promoting people as well. And this is something that, uh, that I had, again, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm not sure. So the managers that I've had in have been very supportive and, and kind of very understanding. And so I'm not sure, you know, if they were recruiting, I don't, I can't, yeah, I haven't seen anything that would make me think there would be an unconscious bias there, particularly and they are very keen to support those employees to be the best that they can be at work. So, yeah, but obviously, I mean, they're, they're the managers that are engaged because they've agreed to come into a coaching session and, and their people have been referred for coaching. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of... Yeah, yeah. The other people that maybe don't know, it's, it's harder with. But I suppose I would say that some of the managers don't feel like they understand the neurodiverse conditions or the impact that they might have on the people that they work with as much. So that's part of the benefit as well of kind of helping open up that dialogue between the employee and the manager so that they can understand each other and where each other's coming from better as well. Yeah. And and what does, I don't know, I'm curious about what the last session might look like with the manager and your coachee. What does it look like? <laughs> I mean, I'm asking you to generalize and of course, confidentiality and everything, but is it, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm curious. 
So usually with the, so usually with the first session, um, so the the sessions with Genius Within tend to be quite long sessions. So the order will come through for either a three hour or a two hour session. Okay. But I do tend to split the three hour sessions into one and a half hour sessions because I just think three hours is a long time, both for the coach and the client <laughs> to kind of maintain that focus and concentration. And it also gives the client more time to practice strategies between the sessions if we're breaking them up more. So the first session, I would kind of say to the manager that they would join for the first 20 to 30 minutes. Um, And then the last session, I tend to say maybe the last 15 minutes, depending on how much we've got to share with them, how much we've worked through um, and kind of, yeah, the best time, but kind of 15 minutes and it could look like so I have the kind of final session with the coachee and we do a recap of the strategies that they've worked on and kind of prep with them what do they want to share with the manager and what do they want to get out of the conversation when the manager's joined and then typically they will kind of share yeah what what they've worked on um I did have um one client who was quite keen just to ask the manager what the manager had noticed because they wanted to know whether yeah their their perceptions matched and that was really interesting and they did so that was good um so that yeah the manager kind of noticed what the client had been working on and what they'd been trying to improve and was able to give kind of quite positive feedback on yes I've seen you've you've improved in this area um so that was really helpful and then it can go into a conversation about you know so what is it as a manager that you could maybe think you could do to support or does the client want to ask the manager anything specifically that they think they could be doing to help support them um, or is it kind of working well as it is um, and they don't really need that. Yeah. Wow. That's great. That's great. And one one question that's coming to mind before we move on to um, the other things that drive your work is how do you look after your own well-being and uh, how do you stay kind to yourself uh, as you as you work through this and as you look for work uh, this kind of work as well so that's a very good question um, <laughs> we don't <laughs> Um, so I have to get personal. No, no, it's a very good question. Right. Um, so I have had um, quite a bit of coaching myself as well um, over the last year, year and a half, um, and that does really help me um, to kind of get a different perspective and to help explore things and just help talk things through with somebody else. Because um, yeah, particularly when you're kind of self-employed and working at home all the time, you don't necessarily have. Um, the opportunities to have those informal conversations that you might have if you're kind of in a workplace. So so it's really useful to be able to do that. Um, and then I'm just very conscious about my own kind of self-care and what I need to do. So I know that if I don't go out for a walk every day, then I start to get a bit stir crazy. Um, so doing that, um, again, meditating. I, sh- I intend to meditate more regularly than I actually do, but kind of meditating Um, And then I've got a blog as well, um, which I started to kind of share my own experiences of work-related stress and what I'd learned and how I'd learned to manage that, um, both kind of what I've learned in terms of psychological theories and then what I've learned in terms of practical techniques that I use. Um, And my main motivation for doing that was to kind of, again, try and break down some of the stigma um, that I've felt in the past around mental well-being and stress and anxiety um 
and to kind of help other people as well. So if there's something that I've learned that they, they just might resonate with them and kind of help foster more of those conversations. But I've actually found writing it quite cathartic as well. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so there are times where, you know, if I'm feeling a bit stressed, I maybe won't write about it at the time. Um, but then being able to kind of look back on it and kind of make sense of it is very, mm -hmm. very helpful. Yeah. So sense making through the blog as well. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. So uh, listeners, if you're curious, uh, what's the address of your blog? Um, so that's a very good question. Oh, um, I, well, they can, you, um, listeners, nextstageradicals.net has a whole blog session where a lot of the radicals syndicate their blog posts. So you can find definitely Anna's blog there. We'll come, we'll come to the, the address at the end, uh, or, or if not, what's the name? You have a name for yeah, it. Yeah, so it's Life's Tapestry. Life's Tapestry. If you Google Life's Tapestry, Anna Whitehead, <laughs> you should be able to find it. So, um, so all of this, you, you mentioned uh, during the prep for the episode that curiosity and connection drive the work. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I left full-time employment back in 2019, so February 2019, Um, and I knew that I needed a change, but I didn't really have a clear plan B of what I was going to go and do. Mm -hmm. um, so I suppose my and, and part of me didn't really want a clear plan and a clear vision and a clear goal because I wanted to explore opportunities and see what emerges um, and follow my curiosity and kind of go where my energy is. Mm -hmm. um so so that's I suppose that's what I've been doing so the reason I trained as a coach um was because I basically I'd got a, a one-page A4 summary of kind of who I am and my strengths and how I want to be and what I'm interested in um and I kind of looked at that and I thought you know coaching ticks a lot of these boxes and kind of fits with who I am um so I'll train and I'll see if I enjoy it basically Um, so I did uh, train and I did enjoy it and I kind of thought <laughs> I want to do more of this That's good. Um, and then and yeah and I had the idea as well when I, when I left my job that I wanted to help support people with autism and kind of help make society more inclusive um, but again didn't have a clear idea of how I would do that um, so I did do I've volunteered for a charity kind of helping people um, prepare for a work placement so as part of a supported employment program mm -hmm. um, and again so just kind of following my curiosity and knowing what I'm interested in and, and trying things and, and see what happens and see where they see where they lead um, and then it was interesting so in about October I think it was 2019 so I left my job at the beginning of February and was kind of enjoying exploring what was going on I was training to be a coach I was kind of yeah life was good <laughs> um, and then once I qualified I kind of thought this is getting a bit serious now I need to start a business and I need to start charging people for <laughs> enough for to be curious <laughs> yeah yeah and I kind of started putting all this pressure on myself Um, and then I did a marketing course and they were talking about, you know, you need to niche and you need to decide who you want to coach and, and what you want to coach them for. And I was thinking, and I kind of got sucked into that a bit. And then I was thinking that it started putting all sorts of pressure on me. And I thought, this isn't how I want to be. This is never 
who I've been and it's not how I want to be and it's taking the joy out of life (laughs) so actually I want to have I want to coach a lot of people and I want to have that variety and I want to not just coach so I want to do you know other bits of consultancy work link with people like the next stage radicals you know follow my follow my interests and not just kind of have have one interest and I was actually speaking to somebody in I think it was in December last year um, and I was talking about this and kind of we were talking about um, kind of the pressure that we both feel on kind of defining ourselves so you know I I I was feeling that there's a pressure that people look at your profile on LinkedIn and they almost want this polished box of I'm Anna and this is what I do and this is who I do it for and and it's almost yeah I felt like I almost couldn't be honest on there to start Mm. with and kind of say well I am exploring options um and I am following my energy and that's who I am and that's that's where I am now and that's that's okay and I was saying to him I was saying you know so I think it's okay to make connections between different things and he yeah. said, well, actually, I think it's really essential. And that's that comment has really stayed with me. And I've kind of been thinking about that quite a lot and thinking that's really interesting that it's not not only is it just OK to have different interests, but it might actually be essential. Um, so what is it that makes making connections important? And what is it that makes curiosity important? Um, and I suppose that's so leading on to, I know we're going to talk about the exploring aloud workshops yes. that I'm going to run. Um, but I think that's kind of my key focus for that workshop is really exploring kind of the links. So I think curiosity can help. Obviously, if you're curious, we can make connections. And I'm wondering, actually, if you make connections between things as well and people, does that make you more curious as well? Um, and it's kind of a self-fulfilling loop almost. Um, and a never-ending one. And a never-ending one, yes. Um, yeah. And then the other thing, I suppose, because when you're exploring and being emergent, then you've got a lot of th- of uncertainty and not knowing, which can quite easily create anxiety. And I think it's quite natural for that to create anxiety. Um, and I'm wondering whether one of the ways out of that anxiety is actually to be curious and to ask questions. Um, and again, so I know Steve Chapman was a previous guest on the podcast <clears throat> and he's done a 10 year plan, um, mm-hmm. which basically says, do stuff, see what happens. Am I alive? Yes. No. If yes, <laughs> yes. do more stuff. See is what happens. Fun? Yes. <laughs> I'm still enjoying it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. And I think for me, so that see what happens is really kind of critical in terms of that curiosity and that genuine curiosity of, yeah, I am literally going to try something and see what happens and not not be so attached to the outcome. I can completely relate to that, Anna. I, I'm a bit like that. This thing of having to focus on something and niche down, and st- I just can't do that. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I can niche down on lots of things. So I can take that <laughs> that marketing advice and go, okay, this thing I'm doing here, that's that niche. This other thing I'm yeah. doing here, that's that niche. <laughs> yeah. That's this niche. Um, but it's... Uh, yeah, I mean, you you said in your when when you sent me the the introduction that you're a portfolio worker. I also completely I I agree with that, and also, and and it is true that at some point you find that everything you're doing is feeding you in different ways, and everything is feeding each other. And it's almost like if I drop everything and focus on one thing, that thing is not going to be as rich mm. because I'm going to be missing everything. Um, yeah. 
yeah. fascinating. And I think that I think preparing for this podcast kind of yeah reinforced that for me that of the four themes, there's actually quite a lot of interlink between those four things that I hadn't necessarily consciously thought about before. Um, so yeah, totally agree with that kind of richness that that brings. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned we are running, uh, well, you are, <laughs> you and Andy are running a <laughs> Exploring Aloud workshop on the 1st of April of 2022. We are recording in February. This will come out in March. And the workshop is on the 1st of April 2022 online around 12.30 UK time. So tell us what is the workshop going to be about? You've already hinted at it, but just tell us a little bit more. Um, so again, I suppose exploring those questions around curiosity and connection um, and I suppose, yeah, why, why those things might be important. So I'll have some kind of thoughts to share at the beginning um, and then there'll be opportunity for discussion. But then I'm also keen to kind of have some interactive exercises as part of the workshop as well, because I never like to kind of stand up there. And kind of, you know, yeah, talk at people and then let them leave. <laughs> well, that's the point of being with so many cool people. Yes. <laughs> it's such a, and especially if you're curious, uh, you want yeah. to know what they think. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so one thing to say, so the Exploring Aloud workshops are something that happens regularly within Next Stage Radicals. But of course, you don't have to be part of the community of practice to, to have fun there. And it really is about that. It's about exploring a theme. Uh, sometimes it will be more structured than others. Sometimes uh, I remember I did one some time ago. It it, it was a little bit chaotic. <laughs> Actually, uh, the, the, I was experimenting with some tech and that let us down. So that was the first bit of uh, exploring. We explored. Uh, so do 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 join us. Uh, Andy will stick the link to that specific workshop in the show notes. Anna, anything else that uh, you would like to say to listeners? Of course, next workshop you will be hosting, so that's great. But <laughs> for now, as a guest, as today's guest, uh, Anna Whitehead, what would you like to say to our listeners? Um, so I suppose just um, it would be great to connect with people. So if, if anybody's kind of interested in, in what we've talked about today and wants to have further conversations, obviously you can do that in the Exploring Aloud workshop. But if you can't make that for any reason or you want to talk before then, <laughs> um, then, yeah, feel free to, to get in touch and, and to do that. Um, and also, yeah, I've, at the moment, I've got availability for any private clients for coaching as well. Um, so if anybody thinks that they might be interested in in coaching, again, we can have a completely um, non-committal conversation just to explore explore that. And, and yeah, more than happy for that. I think that's great. I mean, podcast, I love podcasting because, uh, well, if someone is looking for a coach and they've heard you and the, the, there's like, the we're already halfway through the fit. <laughs> so it's either, yes, I want to know more or actually, no, she's not for me. So it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful, um, it's, I love this medium listeners. I really, really do. So Anna Whitehead, uh, LinkedIn is the best uh, place. Yes. Or, yeah. And the website. It, yeah. No, LinkedIn's the best place. Um, and if you want to connect, then please do put a message in as well to kind of say why you want to connect because um, yes. that really helps. <laughs> I heard you on the podcast. Yes. Uh, excellent. Good. Well, Anna, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, listeners, I'd like to remind you that you can find everything about Next Stage Radicals on nextstageradicals.net. There is a Facebook group and what happens in the Facebook group is, of course, we have conversations. This is, the, you. if you join us, you can see the whole conversation about how this podcast um, uh, chain reacts 
action is developing. But also there's a Thursday morning, UK morning, Thursday morning check-in. I don't usually do that, but I do attend the monthly community of practice meetings, which are, they're really useful and it's a really nice bunch. So listeners, do, do join us. So thank you very much for listening, everyone. And Anna, it has been a delight to spend time with you today, just the two of us, but with other people listening. <laughs> I got to know a lot more about what drives you, how you work. For me, it's given me a lot of things to think about when I'm supporting others. So I now formally pass on the baton to you and wish you all the best with hosting the next episode. Thank you very much. And thank you for today. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts and reflections. So please tweet us at Next Radicals or get in touch at nextstageradicals.net. There you'll also find hundreds of posts and podcasts, sketch notes and stories, reports and resources, which Next Stage Radicals like you have shared as they explore what it takes to make work work better.